Hello and welcome to the Language of Mindfulness podcast, where we'll talk about how to have extraordinary conversations every day. My name is Brett Hill, and I'm your host for this podcast and this series, which is going to be amazing. We're going to have some of the best guests ever uh, in the fields of somatic psychology, communication, psychotherapy, mindfulness, and thought leaders from everywhere to give us the lowdown on how to be more mindful and present in our conversations so that we can reclaim the art of conversation and find ways to communicate more clearly and authentically, bring ourselves more into our everyday lives. I mean, what better way to reestablish or reconnect to the the meaning and value of our lives that we can bring to everything we do and each person that we interact with, than to learn how to be more mindful and present with each experience of talking to someone, of engaging someone, even looking at a face. What's that feel like? What's that bring up in me? How do I want to engage? And using those that information with some finely crafted communication skills to help us learn how to deepen conversations when those opportunities present themselves, to not miss those opportunities because we are present and noticing that, ah, here's a moment where I can make a choice to say or do something or speak something in a way that deepens a connection rather than sidetracks it. Let me give you an example. Very commonly when we're talking with other people, someone's speaking and what's going on when in, in my head or in other people's minds whenever we're not speaking, instead of listening with our full attention, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. This is very common to people, particularly um, when we're, I'm doing coaching with people and we start to explore well, what's going on whenever you're listening. Frequently people will say, well, I'm thinking about what am I going to say? Sure, of course, that makes a ton of sense. However, you're really sort of multitasking in a way in that case. You're not really listening, being present with this other person. Instead, you're thinking, what am I going to do? The focus is on you. And so here we are already talking about how you can bring more of yourself into a conversation and be more present with just a simple little practice like, oh, am I really thinking about, am I really paying attention to what someone is saying and what what that feels like to me? Or am I thinking instead about what I'm going to be doing in the future, right? In, in, In straight up mindfulness practice, thinking about what you're going to do is actually taking you out of the moment. So being present with what's actually happening. That's why this is a mindfulness practice in communications with others. The magic that this makes possible. It's not really magic. It's actually more like science in a way, but the effects can feel very magical. And so Carl Rogers, the founder of Rogerian psychology, they even named a whole branch of psychology after Rogerian psychology, um, very client-focused, very much being present with your experience of a client. And a lot of what I have learned and found of value has come from my training and my background in somatic mindfulness-based psychotherapy. I don't practice as a therapist, but I use those same techniques every day in my life, um, also in 
in my coaching where I do mindfulness coaching. So here's what Roger said. He said, there is another peculiar satisfaction in hearing someone. It is like listening to the music of the spheres. Because beyond the immediate message of the person, no matter what that might be, there is the universal hidden in all of the personal communications, which I really hear, there seems to be an orderly psychological law, aspects of the same order we find in the universe as a whole. So there is both the satisfaction of hearing this person and also the satisfaction of feelings oneself in touch with what is universally true. Wow, that's, for me, that really resonates because when I'm deeply listening to someone, I feel myself in touch with this universal universality. Think about this for a minute. We have so much in common with everyone we know and everyone you don't know. We're all human beings, right? So let's start at the very top level. Obviously, we're all humans, but that doesn't create, just saying that out loud doesn't make me feel like I'm a kindred spirit with everyone on the planet, right? But Maybe it can. Maybe there's a doorway here. What if you drill into this a little bit more? What does it mean? What what do we all share in common that we can relate to person to person before you know a single thing about anyone? Let me put it to you this way. This goes very deep. Think about this. If you were to look at someone and they're just telling you, oh, today I'm doing X, Y, Z, that's fine. But if you look at someone and then you're thinking, this person, like me, knows what it's like to be completely dependent on someone else for their survival. Now, you may be thinking, wait, what? I'm taking care of myself. I don't need someone to stand around and protect me. That's true as an adult, but we have all experienced, every single one of us, what it's like to be a helpless infant. And all the way up until you're fairly cognizant, until you know, you're one, two years old, you must absolutely have someone taking care of your every need and preventing you from doing crazy things like jumping off the roof or falling off a cliff and, you know, sticking your finger in an electrical socket. Someone has to feed you and take care of you. And without that, you will not survive. And as an infant, when we're building our attachment neural networks, which are very important, that's a whole other conversation on attachment. When those things are forming, we know very much that we have to have something outside of ourselves take care of us because you cannot cook your own food. And if you sit there and you scream long enough, <laughs> then maybe somebody will feed you. And so it really goes to the roots of the human experience. And you might think, well, that's a long time ago. I don't remember any of that. But still, there's this, there's this aspect of human psychology where even these very early memories are kind of encoded into our experience of who we are. And we all know that we have, at some point in our life, needed other people to take care of us in a major way. And so that's just a starting point, that we all have been ill. We all know what it feels like to be sick, and maybe desperately so. We all know what it feels like to have some achievement, some success. What is it like to have an accomplishment or to be celebrated? What's it like to be shamed? Have someone publicly shame you and go, well, you know, you know, you didn't do so well here. I, my own 
history. I've been, um, how should I say, um, embarrassed at not hitting the winning ball in the last game of a baseball game. And I was never very good with bats and balls. And so as a kid, of course, that's a big pressure, particularly when I grew up in middle America and sports were the thing. And uh, it wasn't my thing, though. And I suffered because of that, and sometimes publicly so. Even though you might not have that particular story, we've all in some way had some kind of shame laid on us that feels like, you know, hey, I didn't deserve that. It's like not my fault that I wasn't that good. I didn't have, uh, you know, grow up in a sporting family and didn't have people around me to help me along. I was kind of on my own. And so the point is that's true for a lot of us. In some way, we've all... And so the point is, and so the point is, that's true for a lot of us. We've all had similar experiences. If you start to look through the list of the things that every single person that's a human, which is every single person, right, has, has, has in common with us, what's it like to be sad? What's it like to have your heart broken? What's it like to believe in something? then no matter who you meet, they know those things too. You don't have to have a word out of their mouth before you know a great deal about a person's experience because we share a common humanity. And my question to you and to the world is, if you talk to someone from that point of view, that's what's going on in you. You're looking at someone, you're going, oh, here's another human. We're a lot alike. Now, I don't mean to dismiss the differences because there are substantial differences, but you start with, we're a lot alike. If you start with that, does that change the conversation? Does that make something different possible? Maybe something better. That is getting to the heart of what I call the language of mindfulness. And it's what this series is all about. Now, this whole notion I've just talked about is one technique I call the big picture. It's just one of many techniques we'll be talking about. Beginning to establish a frame, a framework, a point of view from which you can engage other people in a way that makes a deeper, more meaningful, more connected conversation possible. And that gives you a better experience in the moment. So that you walk away feeling, ah, oh, wow, that felt great. That felt really nourishing and connected. And if it doesn't, it's not because you weren't there for that possibility. Obviously, you can be mindful and present and do all the right things. And that doesn't mean that someone else is going to participate in that. But if they don't, it's not because you weren't there for it. You can't obviously be that way all the time, but you can at least turn up the dial on how often that becomes possible. It becomes better. It becomes more common experience. And there are steps and stages along the way. So I invite you to check out the website, languageofmindfulness.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Subscribe to the podcast. We're going to have a great time here talking with some amazing people. It's not going to just be me riffing on things, although I could do that and I probably will. Um, and I'm really psyched about this and I hope you enjoyed this. 
If you did, please leave a review and um, and let me know. You can reach me at brett at languageofmindfulness.com. And I'm happy to reply and answer your questions in the next edition. We'll be talking about how this all got started with two TEDx talks, not one but two, that got canceled last year on the language of mindfulness. And we'll be talking with a guy who helped me get all that started. It's going to be great. So that's a wrap for our first ever Language of Mindfulness podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Please give us a ranking if you did. Head on over to languageofmindfulness.com to check out what we're up to, schedule a free coaching session, or download our PDF on eight ways to be more mindful during a virtual meeting. Lord knows we need that these days. We'll see you next time. This is Brett Hill. Thanks. Thanks.